0: America. <laughs> yeah, we have that special uh, Joe Biden versus America video. You can retweet anywhere on social media, repost it uh, at Does America. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video right now, subscribe to the channel, hit the bell for notifications, do all the things. Corey DeAngelis is going to be here to break down the school choice bill that just passed the Texas Senate. This would be a big deal if it goes through. Joe Biden hints at what's to come in 2024, kind of. Sort of. Not really. Not in English. I don't know what it was exactly. But we start by doing the left's legal hypocrisy. Yes, you know, the people on the left largely are hypocrites. This happens all the time, but it gets so frustrating. It's so annoying. It must be pointed out. Let me give you the latest example of this Uh, ruling on Friday. Texas judge halts FDA approval of the abortion pill. Now, the abortion pill has been on the market for you know something like 20 years, but uh, a J- Texas federal judge ruled Friday evening to suspend the FDA's approval of Mifep- mifepristone. One of the two drugs used together to cause an abortion, virtually banning the sales of the pills across the country, at least after a week when they can appeal. And of course, they are appealing already. The Justice Department has asked the appeals court to keep abortion pill Mifeprestone on the market as litigation plays out. That's going to be a fight that's going to go back and forth here uh, for a while. Now, of course, the left had a lot to say about this. AOC first among them. AOC really wants her rights to get an abortion. And I ask you this. Because we talk about this a lot in sort of black and white terms. I'm very pro-life. But in AOC's case, I mean, if you really think about it, like, should she be allowed to spawn? Doesn't sound like the right thing to do. It's a deeper question we're going to have to answer later on. AOC doubles down on ignoring the abortion rule. Clarence Thomas impeachment and abuse of judicial overreach. Of course, judicial overreach only exists when the right does it. No such thing when the left does it. They've never overreached in their entire lives. They're perfect judges. They are always executing the Constitution until it's time to execute the Constitution, right? Um, Here is AOC blabbing about this on CNN.
1: There has been thought, I believe, given to this. Senator Ron Wyden has Mm -hmm. already issued statements, uh, for example, advising what we should do in a situation like this, which I concur, which is that I believe that the Biden administration should ignore Ignore. uh, this ruling. I Mm -hmm. think that we... Right. You know, the, mm-hmm. courts the courts have the legitimacy Were you reading? What are you and reading? they rely on the legitimacy at? of their rulings. Mm-hmm. And what they are currently doing mm-hmm. is engaged in an unprecedented, unprecedented and dramatic erosion, erosion of the legitimacy mm-hmm. of the courts. They, mm-hmm. it, it is the justices themselves through the deeply partisan right. and unfounded nature of these mm-hmm. rulings that are undermining their own enforcement. Uh-oh. So you're
0: saying the Biden administration should ignore this court, but what does that look like? What does that That's a good mean? question. You know, Harrison. I think... Mm-hmm. It, you think?
1: The interesting thing when it comes to a ruling is that it relies on enforcement. Oh! And it is up to the Biden administration to enforce, to choose whether or not to enforce such a ruling.
0: You know... The next administration, maybe a Trump administration, maybe a DeSantis administration, maybe a Haley administration, maybe a Scott administration, whoever it might be, should really stop enforcing the income tax. It's all about what you choose to enforce, right? Let's just stop enforcing the income tax. Next Tuesday is the 18th, which is your tax day, if you haven't started that yet. Oh that's right around the corner. Let me tell you about my fun weekend this weekend. Oh yes hours and hours and hours in front of spreadsheets. It really is a lot of fun and totally not a total waste of time for me to be doing that every single year multiple times per year by the way in my case it's awesome I, I really I really do like it but you got to see that when AOC doesn't like a court ruling, it's okay to pitch to the American people that we just ignore it now, We've heard so much talk lately about how democracy could die, how our system could go away, how our institutions are not respected by those evil Republicans. But when they happen to have some power in those institutions, we should just ignore what they say. That's the pitch to you today. And it was nonstop from AOC. Here she is again blabbing to Dana Bash.
2: My question is, when this case is resolved by the Supreme Court, should the administration follow that decision if that decision ends up banning this abortion drug? Well,
1: you know, I, I want to take a step back and, and dig into the grounds around ignoring this preliminary big ruling word as here. well. Here there here is. We an extraordinary amount of precedent for this. There okay, is, is a term it? known as agency non-acquiescence. There you go. Um, and this has been used and in, in for folks saying this is a first, that this is precedent-setting. It mm-hmm. is not. The it's Trump, not. Administration, Trump administration. Uh, also did this, it. this very thing. Because but you also respected it has the Trump administration's before. right to do uh, it. The right? idea of consistency and governance until mm-hmm. uh, there is a, a higher court ruling is not an unprecedented thing to happen. No. In fact. When the Trump administration did it, it was arguably Mm -hmm. through a much, uh, you know, a a very grave issue when it came to DACA. The Trump Mm -hmm. administration was ordered to fully reinstate DACA, the Mm -hmm. DACA program, Mm -hmm. and they in 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 a complete defiance uh, did, did not, not do that they rely on the, the courts rely on the legitimacy of their rulings and when they make a mockery <laughs> I mean, of our system what a, a mockery statement. of our democracy and a mockery of our law as the as what we just saw happen in this Mifepristone uh, ruling mm-hmm. then i believe that the, that the executive branch And we know that the executive branch has an enforcement discretion, especially in light of a contradicting ruling coming out of
0: Washington. Like, I really want to abort some kids. And like, if they like, I don't really like I don't I really want to abort a bunch of kids. And like, I really want to be able to do it. And and they keep trying to stop me. Uh, This is a fantastical vision of what America is. The courts rely on the legitimacy of their rulings. That is not a system of government. That is just you making up crap as you go along. What are you talking about? The whole point of this institution is that his rulings are legitimate. You might have recognized we had to sit here for 50 years and watch you murder millions and millions of potential children because you decided, ah, you know, the courts, the courts said it. We get to do whatever we want. You know, uh, sure, it's 63 million people that should be alive that aren't. But the court said, "Well, you know what? I'm sorry. The courts rely on the legitimacy of their rulings. Where is this when the other side wins? When they have the power, everything is legitimate. Everything is a decided legal. It's just is set in stone forevermore. But when Republicans actually have a couple victories, all of a sudden that dries up, and we're arguing about the legitimacy of the court. Should it even exist?" Uh, if they rule something, do we need to listen to it? I don't know. Who knows? We, maybe we don't need to listen to it at all. Absolutely fascinating. Now, Ocasio-Cortez also said if the Supreme Court upholds abortion uh, and the pill uh, and the block on that, it could institute a national abortion plan. Now, of course, this is completely ridiculous. I would like it if it were true, because I don't think Ending the lives of children before they have a chance to live them is a good idea, but others disagree with that, and that's why we have state laws that allow all sorts of abortions. Now, if this abortion pill did go off the market, of course, as we know, AOC would be on television telling you to illegally import them from India or another foreign country through a website. They would give you, and they've done this already, give you paths to these organizations to illegally do it because they don't care about the law. As you know, the law only uh, depends on the legitimacy of their ruling. So who knows what they would justify? Of course, they would still have surgical abortions, which are about half of abortions anyway, would not be a ban by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But she decided to blabber on a little bit more on that one on CNN, who just kept putting her on TV the entire weekend.
1: It would essentially institute a national abortion ban no, it wouldn't. because you have an extraordinary amount of states who have implemented surgicals uh, surgical bans or bans after very early time periods and then if you mm. pair that with a mifepristone ban mm-hmm. then we will essentially have a ban on abortion no we won't that is so uh, with, dumb i mean there you're are dumb. certain workarounds so i will admit there would be certain workarounds but yeah, we would take a the law. very significant step towards a National abortion. Ban. So now it's not Once a national abortion. It's a significant abortion, step, which to, represents mm-hmm. or start banning medication abortion. Start now. Start, moving. which represents the overwhelming number of abortions in the United States. Mm. Then we are in extremely dangerous territory.
0: This is just fascinating. I mean, I, I mean, she's. She, I mean, look, she's not the brightest bulb. We get that, and at times I will say, it feels a little cheap. It feels a little cheap to go to the AOC. Well, I feel bad. We were talking about the show this morning and people were pitching, you know, our producers were pitching ideas of what we should do for the monologue today. And We got to the to this one. And I thought this was an important issue to talk about. And we kind of settled on this AOC angle. And I was like, is it cheap? You know, is it fair? to pick the dumbest person on the other side and highlight all their points. And I, I don't think it is. It feels a little cheap, and I try not to do it all the time. But in this particular instance, she's the one talking most publicly about it. So I thought it was OK. If you feel like I took the easy road here today, I apologize for it. I was on. The, I will admit on the borderline on this one because it feels cheap. It feels cheap to go after the really stupid person making your political opponents a point. I get that. It is a really frustrating dynamic that has developed over the past few years because whenever a law goes through that the liberals don't like, that progressives like AOC and socialists like AOC don't like, they just come up with this totally new legal phenomenon where they just ignore all the crap that they don't want. They don't want that to happen, then it doesn't exist. They want it to happen, then it's legally set in stone, a precedent of all precedents. Where is this on the other side? Like, for example, marijuana is illegal. Do I agree with that on a federal basis? No, I think it's pretty silly, frankly, and I think it should probably change. But marijuana is illegal. It's it's against the law. You're not allowed to use it. What does AOC think about it? Well, she call, she's calling on Biden to use executive authority on marijuana policy as the president's agenda stalls in Congress. Why go through Congress when you just have the President do it? We want it to be done, therefore it shall be, right? That's how we work here. Uh, how about gay marriage? Well, what it was once again, they wanted to, she wanted to end the filibuster to protect marriage equality. Why? Because she wants it. Yeah, there's been a tradition for a long time, and this is how our government works on these matters. So what? I want something else. At least that one's through the process. But she wants to upend, you know, years and years and years and decades of tradition and how we run this country because she wants something different. When she wants it, she demands it, whether it's lawful or not. It doesn't matter. Uh, You know, one of the ones I I absolutely just adore from the left is whenever a conservative goes to a church during a campaign and makes a speech or – A conservative pastor starts talking about politics a little bit. Oh, we get the outrage, 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 outrage from the left. Now, AOC kind of chimed in on religion recently during the Super Bowl when she said it was fascism because a group of Christians that have been sort of derided by the right for being uh, giving a left wing vision of Christianity That still wasn't left-wing enough for AOC, who thought it was fascism to get a commercial during the Super Bowl. But, I mean, this is common. I mean, Stacey Abrams, did she run a campaign event that wasn't in a black church? Was there one that that occurred? This is what she did. This is what left-wing politicians do all the time. They go to left-wing churches and make outward political uh, speeches. They basically demand donations from the pulpit. No no outrage whatsoever. That's totally fine, because when they do it, who cares? The laws weren't meant for them. They're meant for you. That's how this works. And, of course, the one time she seemingly has got along... With a ruling in the Supreme Court, and this one's been one that's been frustrating for uh, quite a long time, you know, the left says everything is set in stone unless you bring up Citizens United. Now, the Citizens United trial was, if you remember, one that uh, highlighted the ability of a a, a political organization uh, to produce a political documentary during a campaign. And the left wanted that to because you're not allowed to express your opinion. Why, that, that opinion happened to be against Hillary Clinton, so it was bad. And they said it's bad every single day since, until recently. The question was asked uh, uh, by Downsize DC, will AOC embrace Citizens United now that she benefits from it? Because one of the things that would have happened if Citizens United went the other way is AOC wouldn't have been able to get her $10 million dollars For an AOC campaign documentary, as pointed out in Reason from a few years ago. Now look, all of this is, as I point out, a little cheap. It's AOC's vision and version of the story, which is really obviously very weak and not supported by any facts. I mean, she obviously just Googled uh, uh, agency non-acquiescence. And, and decided to repeat it on a bunch of shows. She tweeted it as well. By the way, every time she's written it, she's put a dash in non-acquiescence, which I could be wrong on this, but I don't think is the way you write it. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, that's the least of her problems. Um, but the fact that she can go on TV, and I mean, think of all the talk we've had about uh, the Trump administration destroying democracy. Here she is on TV, citing the Trump administration as her precedent. Now, the evil Trump administration is just a reason for her to do what she wants, even though she's not actually accurately representing what the Trump administration did in that case. It's still laughable. You've been telling us he's Hitler. And now you're saying, well, Trump did it, so so can I? What sense would that make if it were true? And where were these abilities to ignore court rulings over the past 50 years when Roe versus Wade was in place? Why didn't Ronald Reagan just say, yeah, no, you're no one, you, you can't abort anybody. Nope, not going to happen. Sorry, we're going to decide uh, to go after you if you abort someone. And we'll have to see how that, even if the courts say it's not legal for us to do it, we're going to do it anyway. Because, you know, agency non-acquiescence, question mark, dash. The courts are honestly unquestionable with their rulings. Everything they do is just Rock solid. Now, that's maybe not the way the country was set up. But as you know, AOC certainly doesn't care about that. It's the uh, the agreement we've been in for quite a long time. The Supreme Court comes along, says something. uh, We we apparently follow it. That's how that works until you can overturn it. Now, it has been overturned and she's going to complain about that. A federal court ruling is going to be challenged. It probably will wind up in the Supreme Court. Anyway, And I don't know. I mean, just because it happened to be a pro-choice leaning ruling, I'm not at all sure that the Supreme Court would say that this is this is about an FDA approval of a drug. So it's not like really a pro-choice, pro-life argument here. It's really more about did they follow the process correctly 20 years ago? And that will go through the courts and we will see what the outcome of that is. But the important point is AOC doesn't care. If it went through the FDA, uh, FDA, did I say FDIC? FDA (laughs) approval. The FDIC approval is totally different. The FDA approval of this particular drug. She doesn't care if that happened or not. Uh, She doesn't give a crap. Uh, That's not interesting to her. What she wants is what she wants. And whatever thing she has to say to get there is what she will say. Even if it has multiple syllables. It's hard for her to get through those syllables. But she shall do it because this is what She wants, and when she wants something, she demands our system of government to be upended so that she can have it. Well, she might be giving you the dumbest version of that story, but I promise you that the left wing of this country believes that in their heart, in their soul, it is foundational to their system of belief. It is something that is crucial to understanding progressives in this country. We can have these arguments, and we have to do it. There's no other way around it. You can't just ignore the arguments. You have to take the steps. You have to disprove them. You have to debunk them. You have to bring up the actual facts. Yes, you have to do that. But you have to also understand you're arguing against someone who doesn't care if they are making sense, doesn't care if they know what they're talking about, doesn't care if they're right or if they're wrong. It's all about what they want. And when we understand that, that that is really at the core of what we're doing here, we won't have to... Look at AOC for the dumbest potential version of the argument to try to disprove. We can do that. But in addition, we have to understand that this is part of a much larger strategy. None of this means anything to them. These foundations, these institutions mean nothing to the left. Until we really get that, we're not going to get anywhere. If you're anything like me you have a certain tendency occasional, to put things off to the very last minute and most of the time I guess it works out you know one thing you really can't do in life you can't predict is if you're gonna live or if you're gonna die and that is a sad part of existence. You need term life insurance and you've probably seen it in commercials on tv and thought you know i'll look into that eventually sure I'll get, I'll get insurance this isn't something you can wait on plus the earlier you get it the better rates you're going to get choose life insurance through ladder today ladder is 100 digital no doctors no needles no paperwork when you apply for three million dollars in coverage or less just answer a few questions about your health in an application you just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply ladder's smart algorithms work in real time so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. There's no hidden fees, you can cancel any time. you can get a free, free, free refund uh, if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of pay, uh, paying claims. They're all like A or A plus uh, by AM best in the ratings. So go to ladderlife.com/stew today see if you're instantly approved. It's ladder life.com/stew ladderlife.com/stew. we've been talking about school choice for so long, as long as I can remember, and it never seemed to really go anywhere. Uh, And then all of a sudden the covid thing happened and parents were at home looking (laughs) at what their kids were learning and saying, hey, wait a minute. This doesn't seem right. Can I have a voice in this process? And politicians stepped up and they said, absolutely not. You have no voice in this. And that really, I think, started a movement. It really did. And I will say there has been a lot of movement on this topic for the first time in a very long time, in no small part because of my next guest, Corey DeAngelis. He's an adjunct scholar with the Cato Institute, executive director of the Educational Freedom Institute, and senior fellow with the American Federation for Children. Corey, how's it going?
2: Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um, You know, we've been talking about this and we've talked about it a few times on the show about the successes you've had across the country. There's been a ton of movement on this topic recently. But one of the big prizes, I have to say, has to be the state of Texas, a, a state known for freedom. And yet for a really long time has pushed back for whatever reason against school choice. We actually have some movement in in Texas uh, this week. Can you kind of describe the state of affairs? Where are we right now?
2: Yeah, totally. I'll actually be uh, testifying in favor of a couple bills tomorrow at the Texas House Education Committee. Uh, there was a bill that already passed through the Senate, universal school choice, going all in, allowing families from all backgrounds uh, and, and income levels to be able to access their children's education dollars to take it to the public, private, charter, home based education option of their choice. It passed the Senate, uh, Senate Bill 8. 18 to 13 with all Republicans, except for one, um, voting in favor and all the Democrats voting in, uh, in opposition. And now uh, the, the word is that we're waiting on the House. Uh, we know that the governor is super supportive. Abbott has been pushing for this in at least a dozen cities already. He campaigned on the issue and Republican primary voters are more supportive of the concept ever than before. They 88 uh, percent of Republican primary voters in Texas supported on the ballot last march in 2022 which was up 9 points since they last put it on the be- Republican primary ballot in 2018. So there's a lot of momentum uh, but the word is uh we're waiting on what's going to happen in the house and that Education committee uh, meeting that's happening tomorrow will will tell us a lot about what that's going to look like.
0: Can, can you give us a preview, uh, Corey, of, of, of your testimony and what you're going to need to talk about? What what will get some again? I, you only need Republicans here, right? This isn't <laughs> something you have to get a bunch of Democrats on board with. You need just need to get Republicans on board with freedom of school choice. It should be an easy task, but apparently it's not that easy.
2: Right. I mean, it worked in the Senate. Uh, Republicans mostly voted for their party platform issue and supported it. But uh, some things that I'll share is that in Texas, uh, school choice is a top eight Texas GOP legislative priority this session. Governor Abbott has never pushed it like he's pushing it now. He's actually called school choice an emergency item this legislative session and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is super supportive as well and has made school choice. It's his priority. Eighty eight percent of Republican primary voters supporting the concept. So it's basically Republicans need to vote for what their constituents want and uh, uh and also to realize that other red states are doing this as well in the past two years alone six states have gone all in on school choice Iowa Arkansas Arizona West Virginia Florida and Utah they've they've passed school choice for all families and this is a Republican primary uh, voter priority and I also want to emphasize that the the argument for school choice has changed it's it, it isn't only about kids and in failing schools based on test scores. It's what you mentioned in the beginning, Stu, that parents want to raise their kids with values that are aligned with their own. Uh, vody Bachum said it best, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Uh, and I also want to point out that school choice is now politically popular and it's a political winner in in the last uh, midterms. There wasn't a red wave or a blue wave, per se, but there was a school choice wave. Seventy six percent of the candidates supported by my organization, the American Federation for Children, won their races in 2022. So the, and we we challenged 69 incumbents and took out 40 of them. So the message is clear. Support parental rights and education or lose your job. Yeah. And, I, you know, it, it seems like a state like Texas, that would be pretty
0: obvious. But really, I mean, you know, I, I'm reading some of the coverage of this and I don't know, maybe it's just tilted to the negative. But the, the, the coverage seems to indicate you're going to have a real problem in the House. The House has voted against this before multiple times in previous years. And here we are. Yes, things have changed, but there's a lot of money that flows from the teachers unions to Republicans in the state of Texas. It's not just a Democrat thing here. How do you overcome that?
2: Yeah, I mean, the teachers unions are dumb in a lot of ways, but they're smart when it comes to uh, getting what they want. And historically, in states like Texas, they know they can't get a Democrat majority. So they they play hard in Republican primaries to get some fake Republicans on the issue of the school choice to block the issue in one chamber. I don't think they're going to be able to do it this year though because if I'm a Republican in in Texas looking at how much Governor Abbott is sticking his neck out to support the policy, I would be pretty uh, afraid of coming out against parental rights in education one because Governor Abbott is leading on the issue but two because Republican primary voters are more supportive of the issue than they ever have been in the past and the whole nation is watching Texas right now. Um, the last time there was a school choice fight in Texas that was serious, it was, you know, six years ago in 2017, and the Senate passed it last time, the House blocked it. And there wasn't a big commotion about it. But now everybody is watching all across the country. and it would be a national embarrassment for Republicans in Texas to kill a party platform, top eight Texas GOP. Uh, Republican uh, priority this session. So I, I think a lot of them are reading the tea leaves and understanding that they need to support uh, parents or they're, they're going to have a lot of issues when it comes to the, the next election cycle.
0: Yeah, um, Corey, you know, I, I work at a conservative network here uh, in Texas and, you know, I, I hear I would say a lot of complaints about Abbott uh, from time to time that people don't think he's conservative enough. He's never been bad as far as I know on school choice. I don't think he's ever been an enemy of school choice, but he does really seem to have found a passion for this over the past uh, year or so. And it's not just, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, he's going through a campaign. He's going to have, I mean, he's been elected now. He's there. He doesn't have to do Mm -hmm. this. He does seem to really be uh, spending a lot of political capital to try to get this done. Has there been a change in him or what's going on?
2: I think he's seen the polling and uh, seeing that parents really support this. Now, I think COVID changed the game in Texas and other red states as well. People who weren't really talking much about school choice are now super mobilized about it. They've seen that parents who went to school board meetings complaining about uh, the curriculum disagreements were starting to get labeled as domestic terrorists by uh, uh, the National mm. School Boards Association. I mean, it's just totally ridiculous. And the, the argument is now has moved towards. Families want to say in their their kids education and they want to be able to raise their kids in ways that are aligned with their own values. And in states like Texas, where they've taken uh, some some measures to to ban concepts like CRT, for example, they're still doing it. There's undercover video that has come out from accuracy and media in states like Iowa, Idaho, Tennessee, now Texas. A lot of undercover footage showing that the school employees are admitting that they're either going to do it or they're already uh, teaching through a CRT lens. They'll either just change what they call it, they'll change it, social emotional learning or mental health, and they'll just keep getting around the, the top-down regulation to try to control what's going on in the schools. The better solution is school choice from the bottom up. Let families choose. That's the only way forward through freedom as opposed to force, to allow families to choose a school that best aligns with their values at the same time, that can provide competitive pressures for the public schools to focus more on education as opposed to indoctrination. School choice can be a, a rising tide that lifts all boats. And I do want to say, Stu, the one argument you'll hear for fake Republicans to try to side with the teacher union monopoly and go against their voters is they'll try to say in rural areas that, you know, I know I'm, I'm a Republican and I have a lot of Republican voters here. But on the one hand, they'll say we can't use this because we don't have a lot of private schools in my area. But in the next breath. With a straight face, they'll try to tell you that this is going to dismantle and defund our great rural public schools. <laughs> well, one, if they're so great, what do you have to worry about? And then two, if you don't have any exit options, you should be the last person arguing about defunding of your schools. This is just another excuse uh, uh, for the... the. Uh, the so-called Republicans to join with the teachers unions to come out against a party platform issue. That's not going to work anymore. No one's falling for that BS. It's a horrible argument. And rural voters, if anything, support school choice more than non-rural voters. If you look at the latest University of Houston polling on the topic. Yeah, no, it's very true. I
0: I mean, I don't think that's a legitimate argument. And and the bill, if I'm not mistaken, Corey, took some steps to try to make the situation better for rural areas. Um, They did try to dive into that a little bit. But let me ask you a little bit, because you've talked about these other states that have gone, as you as you called it, all in on this, everyone gets a chance to go to a private school or a home school and and not have to pay money, tax money, for nothing, or at least not as much. Um, However, like this bill, reading the coverage of it does seem to be somewhat limited as compared to that vision. They, they are limiting it to something like sixty two thousand students, at least as far as the funding goes. They are saying that parents who have, have decided to, to spend their money on private schools previously because they think it's so important, can't take advantage and still have to get double billed for their education. I mean, is that does this bill go as far as some of these other states and is there a lot of room to improve it still?
2: Yeah, I would say it's nearly universal. It's about 85 to 90 percent of students are income based eligible for for the program. Uh, the one thing that did get amended in the before they passed it on 1813 vote in the Senate was that they weren't allowing any families that if they already paid for private school tuition and fees out of pocket, they weren't allowing them them to participate. And on on the floor in the Senate, they added an amendment to allow families at or below 200% of the poverty level if they're already in private school. Uh, So that allowed some more of those families to be able to access. It should be 100%. There should be no income caps across the board, but look, Getting 85, 90 percent of the way there from zero percent, we should take any win that we can get. And this will make it easier to expand it from the 90 percent to 100 uh, percent in the next session. But we all know that there's uh, some holdup in the House and for the Senate to pass something this expansive is a major win.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really encouraging. I mean, uh, there there might be a couple issues with the bill. I, you know, as, as you point out, I'd like it to be. Uh, Fully uh, there, but hey, this is a real improvement and a real—it's a dream come true for a lot of parents who who've been wanting to do this and were not able to do it all of this time. So we really hope that Texas comes through. If you're in Texas, if you care about this issue, call the people. If you got a Republican in your area that's waffling on this, there's a whole list of them out there. Give them a call and tell them that this is really important to you because the only thing that's moving this are you know people like Corey, but also just people like you telling. Uh, your representatives. Hey, we care about this. We want educational choice. And I think it's a vital issue. And if you if COVID didn't convince you, I don't know what will. Uh, Corey D'Angelo, he's an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute, of course, executive director for Educational Freedom Institute and senior fellow with the American Federation for Children. Thanks so much for all your hard work on this. Corey, I will be rooting for you in your testimony. And please get these guys over the over the hump here.
2: Totally. Thank you so much, Stu. You know, if you happen to
0: be in a state that doesn't have educational choice, you may be thinking about moving to one that does. And, of course, this is happening like crazy since the last few years has been overwhelming. People going to bat to say, you know what? We have a life here. We have friends here, but we're going to abandon that because we can't take what these blue states are doing to us. We can't take the education. We can't take the COVID policies. We can't take the taxes anymore. We got to go somewhere else. If you're going from a blue state to a red state or honestly, if you're even going the opposite way because of work or whatever, realestateagentsitrust.com is a place you need to go. Why? Well, they work with only the best agents in every market. They do their homework. They talk to every agent before inviting them to join the network. And they are only working with full-time professionals, no part-time, no inexperienced agents. They just find the best agents in your area, they hook you up with them, and then you have a great transaction, and they make sure that you're satisfied. The agents are involved uh, and have really a great long track record uh, of results. And, uh, you know, these are the best sellers in their field. Uh, so go to realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. Give them some basic info. They'll contact you and make the introduction to the agent you need to talk to. It's real estate agents I trust. Dot com. An escaped serial killer wants to run for president. His name Gavin Newsom. Uh, he is a uh, oh, apparently also the governor of the state. Uh, there you go. Anyway, so uh, Gavin Newsom. Uh, the question is, will Gavin Newsom run for president? Experts say it's not if, but when. Which is fascinating, really. I mean. You have a sitting president here. Usually this doesn't work out well. I mean, very rarely does anything happen, let alone an actual serious attempt to unseat a sitting president. Yeah, as you, there's, of course, a few examples in some relatively recent history, but nothing really of note. Um, uh, they say that this is a, a real possibility. Now, it's, it's weird watching Gavin Newsom. It certainly seems like he's running. He's like running ads for himself in Florida for some reason. He's in Florida, seeming all the time. He seems to like Florida more than he likes California. I don't know. Maybe Ron DeSantis is doing a pretty good job there. Uh, who, who could know? Um, But it's interesting that he does seem to have the posture of a candidate who is running. And then you add on to this, again, another weird moment. Um, Joe Biden was asked if he's going to be running by Al Roker. And he says, I'm planning on running, Al, but we're not uh, prepared to announce it yet. And that's, I took out about 14 stammers and stutters there. But it was basically the tone of what he said. They keep saying this, but I don't know. It's interesting. I was listening to an interview with somebody who was talking about this and saying, you know, look, uh, He doesn't have the posture of a candidate right now. You know, Ron Klain is his chief of staff, not really a chief of staff for, uh, you know, a a presidential run, more like a a placeholder type of chief of staff. And it went through a bunch of this stuff, and it it makes some sense. I mean, I still think Biden's going to run, still think he's probably going to be the likely nominee. But if Newsom gets in, that's a, you know, a serious challenge. Newsom's a joke, obviously, and a terrible governor, and really a really, I mean... If you think he's a bad governor, he's a much worse person, like he's a terrible human being. Uh, but all of that being said, he wouldn't get in if he didn't think he had a chance to win or that Biden wasn't running. So we'll see if that goes. By the way, there is a report on Biden's strategy in this next campaign. Biden's digital strategy or extra, it would be a tragedy as well. But a strategy is an army of influencers. And I don't know what. Exactly, what kind of influencers we're talking about here? Like, it's you've got, of course, the, the sort of prankster types. I don't know, is Mr. Beast going to be, campa- you know, uh, Logan Paul is he going to be campaigning for for Joe Biden? I I don't know. Maybe you also have like the the influencers who are you know basically like you know. Uh, you know, 5'8", 104-pound bikini models. What else is on Instagram? I'm not exactly sure. I can tell you this, though. This is a promise to you. This is from me to you. Joe Biden runs, and he has his army of influencers. The first influencer will be carrying a Bud Light and wearing Nike. I guarantee you Dylan Mulvaney is right there at the top of the heap. So there's a new movie coming out, and I don't think Dylan Mulvaney's in it. I hate to disappoint you. I I know that's a sad, sad thing, but this one is from the people who made God's Not Dead and Unplanned. It's called Nefarious. If you've seen any of the great trailers or posters yet... Might seem like, I don't know, like a horror movie maybe, but it's not really that. It's kind of like Interview with a Demon. Uh, you don't want to miss this one. Best of all, it's based on a book by The Blaze's own Steve Dace. Now, uh, I don't give away all the details, of course, but uh, Steve was behind this book. You're going to enjoy it uh, and as a movie as well. Nefarious opens nationwide the weekend of April 14th, which is this weekend, right? Wow, there you go. Mark the date. Get your tickets now at whoisnefarious.com. Whoisnefarious.com. Go there now. Check it out. Make sure to see Nefarious in theaters as soon as you can. It's whoisnefarious.com. We are just talking about uh, Steve Dace's movie uh, Nefarious, which comes out this next weekend. It's got some competition, I will say, uh, to try to win that number one slot. Might be tough against the Super Mario Brothers movie, which... Oddly had a huge opening weekend, $200 million in the U.S. and Canada for its five-day opening run, um, and $377 million worldwide. This is uh, topping up box office launch record for an animated movie previously held by Frozen 2. It beat Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania which brought in $225 million during its uh, earlier uh, uh, its opening earlier uh, last month or a couple months ago. Um, now, this, of course, is based on the movie in 1980, or the video game back from, like, the 80s, which, of course, has continued this entire time. There was a movie made in the 90s, and I don't know how this movie did so well, because as we heard from John Leguizamo, they used white actors for these white roles, which is totally wrong. Where's the diversity? White actors for white roles? Some of them might have even been Italian for Italian roles. Now we know Italian roles are delicious, but also we know that Italian roles should only be played by Hispanics or uh, Native Americans or Chinese people or something, something other than white people. We certainly shouldn't give them any jobs. They're all bad, bad people. And as John Leguizamo told me, he told us he would not actually go to the movie. Now he was in the one from 1990 or whatever it was. Um, playing Luigi, which uh, Luigi Leguizamo—it just flows, flows off the tongue. By the way, uh, the leaked Pentagon papers have come out, and this is a fascinating story for a million different reasons. Uh, we don't know—it was either a whistleblower or a hacker or something—leaked a bunch of rare um, documents, uh, and uh, documents that. U.S. intelligence did not want out there. They got out on social media and were being sent around like some normal tweet. This is the worst leak, they say, since the uh, Edward Snowden affair a few years ago. And what I find fascinating about coverage like this is they're like, this is terrible. It's terrible for our country that these things got out there. It's really, really, really bad. Let me give you 2,000 words on what's in there. Because uh, you need to know every single thing that got leaked. It's bad that it got leaked and no, we, sh- we don't want it out there. But let me tell you exactly what's out there, because that's really important. Every story I read was the same thing. It was telling you all these details about what's in there. You know, it doesn't seem like it's uh, good that, it, that this stuff happened, but someone's trying to, uh, to seemingly throw the flag at the Ukraine-Russia w- support situation from, uh, from the U.S. side, along with a bunch of other things. There's some spying on allies and things like that. I don't want to get into the details because I don't think there's necessarily a great reason to draw more attention to it, but uh, get another really... Uh, I mean, the intelligence community has been falling down on the job quite a bit lately, and you can't really let... I mean, Twitter's not really the place for this, We've seen what arguing on Twitter amounts to. Maybe in the future, all wars will be conducted on Twitter and maybe there'll be slightly less death. I mean, it wouldn't be much, but maybe a little bit. But until that time comes, maybe you might want to protect these documents so that people who are just out there sharing them on Twitter aren't able to access them. Okay, so here's what happened. As so many of these stories begin, a Florida man was arrested. Uh, This is on Friday morning as he allegedly was greased up and broke into two homes, jumped in their pools. Now, Naked, greased-up Florida man accused of breaking into two homes, jumping in pools is quite the headline. But I will say, can you make up your mind? Which one's the problem? Is it him being inside or outside? Because now you are said both are a problem, okay? He tried both. You're saying he can't do either. How can he win? By the way, um, they did find him. His name um, is not Ronnie Dobbs, but Blake Tokman. And uh, here's where they found him.
2: Put your hands behind your back. Hands behind your back. (laughs)
0: Now, he doesn't seem to be moving at all. Very greasy. Hands behind your back. Hands behind your back. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. Hands behind your back. Now, he's very weird, but I don't think he's actually resisting. He's just passed out on a trampoline, which is where a lot of knights happen to end you know uh, just sue him jeez all right uh comments on youtube please follow the show uh, click uh, like click subscribe do all the things uh, i was so excited by Peepsy, which is pepsi combined with peeps my two favorite food groups combined at last instead it tastes like sadness with an aftertaste of remorse and a hit of hint of peeps my soul laments this yes i agree that's kind of how i felt about it uh here's another one uh, we need a poll of whose laugh is more nightmare inducing kamala or hillary and I'd say Hillary's is worse, but Kamala does it a lot more and in situations that aren't even funny. Very true. We understand, Stu's producer. We get. We all get those those ads. No, no you don't. don't. Don't try to get him out of trouble here. And uh, Hey Joe, new low. Hey Joe, please go. I love that song. Yes, very catchy. And very true.